It's Easter again, and here we are together. Last Easter, we, uh, we, had this, <laughs> we were shocked by COVID, right? So we were trying to prepare for when we were going to celebrate like we wanted to on Easter, and we had all these plans, and here we are a full year later, and uh, for whatever reason, you're still taking this in online, so very glad to join you. Maybe you dressed up this Easter different than you did last year. I got on my new shirt. Hopefully that doesn't distract you too much, but we're going to celebrate the life of Jesus, right? The resurrected life of Jesus today as we walk through this passage of Scripture. Let me pray. We'll jump right in. Father, thank you for this new life that you gave me in Jesus. I, uh, I've, I've had it for a long time. And some of the folks taking this in right now have had it long and short amounts of time. And, and we today together, virtually, we want to we celebrate you, Father, we want to celebrate you, Jesus, for, for all that you did for us on the cross, and particularly today for your defeat of death by raising from the grave. Uh, we, we celebrate you, Jesus. We worship you, and we call you great in your name. Amen. When I was a kid, I moved back to uh, South Carolina where my grandparents live, and I'm sure my parents now, I understand completely, my parents enjoy dropping me off so that my grandparents could babysit me. It was always fun for me because my grandfather watched the Braves 162 games a year. and I got to watch Glenn Hubbard play second and Dale Murphy play out in right field and Phil Necro throw the knuckleball. All that was, that's why I wanted to be there. My grandmother would break out the ice milk and it was just a great time being at my grandfather and grandmother's house. So I got to know them and appreciate them and understand their personalities. And it was one of those things I didn't have a lot of until about 10. My grandfather got diagnosed with cancer in late 50s, early 60s. And one of the things that we would do on occasion, even while I was young, 10, 11, 12, he would take me with him to the cancer clinic. And it was this place where my grandfather would become uh, more than I'd ever seen him. He had this swagger. <laughs> Does this make any sense? <laughs> Might explain me a little. He had this swagger. At the cancer clinic, he, um, I would call it a hope swagger. It wasn't this cocky, arrogant way of carrying himself. He was just very sure of himself in there. He, he had this ease about him with people in there. He, uh, he had been an insurance salesman for years and done pretty well at it. Uh, he had worked in the mills. He grew up on a farm, so he had all these experiences of life. And yet at the cancer clinic... Because he had met Jesus in the middle of his life, he walked different than everybody else. And everybody wanted to talk to my grandfather. So they would, they would come up and shake his hand and start telling them his story. And because of this confidence he had, because of his relationship with Jesus, he was the guy. He didn't really have like these textbook answers. He had this attitude of answer, this confidence about where he was going to be when cancer finally took his life. Many of them would ask him to do their funeral. It was crazy because, again, he's not a pastor, but he knew Jesus. And so he would do the funeral. He was no public speaker. He was hard to listen to often if he talked in front of people. But at a funeral, he had this, this ease. He would even turn into a comedian sometimes telling the person's story of, of, of their life. He was just excited for them if they knew Jesus, that they were going to be with their Savior. It changed him, and he wanted it to change them, and it was this testimony that he had in Anderson, South Carolina. It's supposed to be our testimony. We're supposed to have this 
I, I don't know what you want to call it. I, I, I like the word swagger. So if we could call it a hope swagger, I'd love it if you'd go there with me. But this ability to walk the planet with this confidence about the end of our lives. The early church would often say when someone died that they had only fallen asleep, <laughs> that they were asleep because they were confident that right after death, that moment of death, that that person was moving to eternity with Jesus, which was better. Um, this, a, a, a little quote from the Bible that says, death, where is your sting? It's a, it's a great line where it just challenges death. The thing that we fear the most on the planet, which is why we fear war, which is why we fear a pandemic, which is why we fear anything that would take one more year off of this little short life we have. The followers of Jesus are able to walk with a confidence because we don't believe that life ends at death. We really believe that eternal life starts at death, and it's something to look forward to if you have a relationship with Jesus. So when we read Mark, and he's completing his story of the good news about Jesus, right? When we're, we're hearing him from the beginning of Jesus' life all the way to his death, burial, and resurrection, it is not a good news story if there's no resurrection. This, this would just be a story, maybe even a sad story, maybe a crazy story of a terrific guy in history that had a horrible death, and so you'd end it by, by weeping over the loss of his life. But instead, this story that Mark writes, it ends with what we believe is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And because the story ended like that, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospels, the good news, have cut through history for 2,000 years. I'm sure you, you may know this. There were other great leaders in Israel years before Jesus, right? There's this season between Malachi and Matthew during the, the Maccabean rule. If you want to do, look up the history, there were, there were great leaders that would lead the Jewish folks in revolt and, and folks revered them like no other. And then they would get killed and then they would be gone and the story would go away. You don't know it. Most likely you may have just read it in a history book. Right, But you, it's not something that you celebrate, but we read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and they all end with the resurrection of Jesus. And because he defeated death, this story is cut through history. And maybe if you're a Christian like I am, then it, this story transformed who you are. So whether you've walked with Jesus for a couple days or, or 40 years like me, uh, we should know the story. We should know how it goes. You should probably read all four of those gospel accounts. We're working on Mark right now. I'll read you a little bit of it. But all four of those gospel accounts, they complete the good news about Jesus. Here's uh, Mark chapter 15, verse 42. This all happened on a Friday, the day of preparation, the day before the Sabbath. As evening approached, Joseph of Arimathea took a risk and he went to Pilate and he asked for Jesus' body. NLT writes it like this, J Joseph was an honored member of the high council and he was waiting for the kingdom of God to come. So you kind of have this special wealthy guy named Joseph. He's wealthy, he's influential, he's a Pharisee, so he's educated, he's religious, and yet he's not going along with the religious crowd. It's particularly cool to see this wealthy gentleman, as, as you'd have to think, go out of his way and make a public statement of his connection to Jesus by 
going through with this burial. It's, it's crazy how his name gets etched into history because he was willing to be seen with the dead body of Jesus. Pilate, the ruler that we heard about last week, uh, couldn't believe that Jesus was already dead. It's only been a few hours. Normally guys would die over 24 or 48 hours. It's only been six-ish hours since Jesus was crucified. So he called a Roman officer and he asked him if Jesus had died yet. The officer confirmed that Jesus was dead, and so Pilate told Joseph that he could have the body. Pretty cool, because Mark, Mark's writing this on purpose. He wants you, the reader, to know, yes, Jesus was really dead, <laughs> right? Because this centurion, this Roman soldier, he was an expert in death. His, his life is on the line if he lies about this, so he's confirming the fact that Jesus is dead, which gives Joseph the opportunity to go get this body. Check this out. Joseph bought a long sheet of linen cloth and he took Jesus' body down from the cross and wrapped it in the cloth and laid it in the tomb that had been carved out of the rock and he rolled the stone in front of the entrance. I, I think every time as a child I pictured the burial of Jesus, all I picture is that stone in front of the cave and some picture I had seen of those two things. And, and the way a young boy's mind was just, I wonder how that stone rolled in front of the grave. But I would love if you would today just with me to consider what Joseph did publicly. He, he had to actually lower that cross with witnesses, other people watching the other two guys still alive, dying. Joseph's got to, in front of all those people, lower Jesus' body down to the grave, I mean, down to the ground with the cross remove his hands and feet from the nails, begin to clean up the oozing blood and mess from the wounds that Jesus has taken on. He's got, he's got to do all of this first in public, in front of everybody, in front of tons of witnesses. So there's not only Joseph that can bear witness. Yeah, I took him down off the cross. Pilate, who heard about him being dead. The soldier who told, gave testimony that he was dead. But there's all these folks that were there seeing the crucifixion that watched Joseph do this. It's, a, uh, it's an amazing scene. It's, it's tough to read, but it seems as if uh, Mark very intentionally wants you to hear that there is proof that Jesus was buried in the grave. Very last verse, Mary Magdalene, real name, somebody you could go find. And Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where Jesus' body was laid. So again, he's giving you two more people you can go ask. Was Jesus buried? Was Jesus buried? Yeah, you can go ask all those folks he was buried. Um, if you're a Christian, we talk a lot about Jesus' death and we talk a lot about Jesus' resurrection. But let's just be clear. There's no resurrection unless there's a burial. So the burial's very significant when we talk about the gospel. When we share the gospel, sometimes we shorten it to death, burial, resurrection. It's that big of a deal. It's in the top three as we remember Christ's life, death, burial, and resurrection. Mark... Uh, chapter 16 picks it up like this. He only gives a few verses to the resurrection, which I, I think is just, uh, I don't know, it's, it's, it's shocking. And when you read it, uh, the original manuscripts only have eight verses. You might have a Bible where you could read where there's multiple other verses after, after that. We're not positive um, how those verses got there. So, so I'm just going to read eight, and then we're going to take the other three gospels, Matthew, Luke, and John, and we're going to build the rest of the story after Jesus' resurrection. Let me read you Mark. 
Saturday afternoon when the Sabbath ended, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome went out and purchased burial spices so they could anoint Jesus' body. And very early on Sunday morning, just at sunrise, they went to the tomb. And on the way, they were asking each other, who rolled away the stone for us at the entrance of the tomb? But as they arrived, they looked up and they saw that the stone, uh, which was very large, had already been rolled aside. So you have these wonderful women. They were there, there at Jesus' death. We saw that just a few verses ago. They were spying on where Jesus is gonna get buried. And on Sunday morning after the Sabbath, they're gonna go out there and take care of his dead body. It's, it's pretty cool how physical it is. They're looking around for a couple guys that would roll that big stone out of the way so that they could go in and do their work with the spices on his body. And yet when they get there, the stone is rolled away. Now let me, let me take a couple of other gospels and build the story for you because what's pretty cool when you have four eyewitness accounts, like so, so Luke is hearing other eyewitnesses and he's writing his account as is Matthew. Uh, Peter, at some points in this story, is actually going to see some of this, and so we assume that he's telling some of this story to Mark. John actually is going to show up on the scene a couple of times. So you, they're going to be eyewitnesses and have stories from eyewitnesses, and then you're going to take all four of their accounts, and you're going to blend them together and, and kind of get the story. So, so we get from Matthew that an angel rolled away the stone before sunrise, and then uh, these four ladies in Mark and Matthew and really all four of the Gospels show up at the scene. They find the tomb empty and then, then stuff starts to move, right? So according to John, Mary Magdalene looks in the tomb. She sees it empty and then she is in a foot race back to see, back to see John and Peter. It's, it's as if when she saw the tomb empty, all of her instincts made her body run as fast as she can. I, I don't know how you are when you have news to share. Some of y'all get on the daggum computer and type as fast as you can to get the news out because you want to be the first to deliver. Some of y'all, when you feel really responsible, you've got to give good news. Have you ever had to run physically when you had good news or bad news? I can remember as a child uh, coming on a scene, it was a bad scene, with a friend. His grandfather had died. And uh, we looked in the front window, and his grandfather was, was uh, dead in the living room, and we couldn't get in. And my friend Tom said, run, tell my parents. I still remember running down the street as fast as I could to his parents' house, not knowing his grandfather well, but feeling super responsible that I've got to get to somebody in authority. And as I'm running, I'm focused on getting my words right on what I'm going to tell them. And, and I'm trying to be grown up because I was just a little boy. And I'm even paying attention to how fast I'm running and how the wind's blowing across me. It's just this intense run. And you can imagine Mary Magdalene, a real person, a real person in history running through the streets to find Peter and John. While she's running, evidently, a couple angels, according to the synoptics, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, uh, a couple of the angels actually speak to the other women and tell them, hey, Jesus is risen from the grave. So they hear it from the angels while Mary's running. And Mary runs to Peter and John. And you can imagine Peter and John, we don't know exactly where they were. Were they sitting down at the Chick-fil-A eating a sandwich? Probably not, but they're together somewhere. And Mary runs to them and gives a report that the tomb's empty, which energizes them. And immediately, Peter and John make this track to the tomb, and they're running. I love it because John records it in his gospel, and John says, I got there first. I mean, that's just like a guy to tell you that he's faster than Peter. But he says when he got there, he didn't run into the tomb. He, 
he kind of stopped and he looked into the tomb and he saw that it was empty. When Peter got there, we don't know how far behind, maybe 20 yards, maybe 200. When he gets there, he just runs all the way into the tomb, just like Peter, runs all the way into the tomb and he sees that it's empty. What I love when I read John's is John actually says that he believed that when he saw the tomb empty, he believed. He hadn't seen Jesus yet, but all of a sudden it must have registered. I remember when Jesus told us he was gonna rise after three days. Mark 8, 9, and 10, each of those chapters, Jesus pronounces that he is going to rise again. And John believes it in that moment. Evidently, Peter, it hasn't all, all connected yet. Pretty cool because the very first appearance to Jesus of Jesus to a person comes right after this. Evidently, Peter and John, they head back to the house, head back to town. Mary Magdalene works her way back to the garden where the tomb is. And guess who Jesus appears to very first? This lady, this lady named Mary Magdalene. It's a pretty amazing statement for the church even today that Jesus has always been about folks that are broken. And if you read a little bit about who Mary Magdalene was, her past life was, was tough. It was a mess. There was a variety of things written. We're not exactly sure how her life went, but we have some ideas. It was, it was a mess, and yet she loved Jesus, and, and she believed in Jesus. And she's in the tomb, I imagine, just trying to figure out why the tomb is empty, near the tomb, imagining why the tomb is empty, and Jesus appears to her, introduces himself. It is... It's an amazing scene. It should encourage anybody that's taking this in right now and you feel like I'm too big of a mess for Christianity. Nah, that's just not true. That's a lie. It's a lie from Satan. Jesus' very first appearance is to a lady. And then his second appearance is to the other ladies that were there. He comes again and he affirms that he's alive again. I think for a time in history where we talk a lot about gender. There's all this debate about gender. Uh, some of it is just really messed up. Conversation for another time. But there is no doubt that Jesus saw men and women made in his image. And he had, he had this care for, for ladies that were constantly persecuted in their time. They were often held as to a much lower standard. And he brought, brought them up to the point of appearing to ladies first. It's pretty cool because uh, not too long after that, he appears to Peter. First Corinthians captures this. Paul's writing down about the resurrection, a great chapter in the Bible to read if you want to just celebrate the resurrection on Easter. Take a little time and read all the way, long chapter of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. But Paul says that Jesus appeared to Peter before he appeared to the disciples. And I don't know if you remember what Peter did just a couple chapters ago, he denied Christ. He lied about knowing Christ. He talked all this smack about how he would never fall away and then he fell away. And so on Easter, as we tell the story and we see a lady like Mary Magdalene show up on the scene first to see Jesus. And then Jesus to go out of his way to see Peter, the one who denied him three times, just a, a couple nights ago. It's a beautiful reminder to me and to you there is no room for self-righteousness. There's no room for us to look around the room on Easter and 
feel better than somebody else. There's no room to look down, up and down our street and our neighborhood to feel better than somebody. Jesus has been, since the crucifixion, burial, and resurrection, he's been about folks that are broken. He wants to know folks that are broken. He will show himself to folks who are broken and who have failed. As a matter of fact, we know that he's going to build the church on Peter's back despite all of his failures. So for me and you on on a day like today, if you're taking this in and you don't really feel worthy, maybe you're taking it in on video because you don't feel worthy to be with a bunch of people on Easter. That's a lie. You're worthy based on this event, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And he wants, he wants to know and use you over the course of your life. If you take the the four gospels and you keep working them together, a little bit later in the afternoon, Jesus, he shows up on on this path, on this road. We call it the road to Emmaus. Luke captures it best. Mark in some of these later verses addresses it. I'm not as comfortable reading them, but in Luke uh, chapter 24, he actually addresses and takes a number of verses talking about this walk of Jesus down the road of Emmaus. We don't know exactly how it went down. We know that the two disciples that knew all about Jesus and most likely knew Jesus personally, they're walking from Jerusalem to their hometown called Emmaus. Seven-mile walk. How long does that take you? It takes two hours, right, if we're, if we're walking just at a, a fair pace. Two hours to walk to Emmaus. They're, they're walking and talking and having conversation, reviewing the events of the weekend, Jesus' death, his burial, and then this news that's already spreading across Jerusalem that the tomb is empty. And Jesus walks up on him. I, I, I want to ask him when I get there, how did you walk up on him? Did, did you hide behind a tree? Did, at this point, it's his resurrected body so he can do what he wants to. Did you just pop up out of the ground? Did you just blink and show up like they used to do on Star Trek? How did it happen? And Jesus shows up. I imagine him coming up from behind and catching up with him, maybe jogging down the street so it doesn't scare him to death introducing himself, and then participates in this conversation as they walk down the road toward Emmaus. The Bible actually teaches, it tells us that, uh, that God clouded their vision so that they didn't recognize Jesus. So these guys evidently have seen him before, heard about him, either seen him publicly or maybe actually were hanging out with him. We don't know the exact details. But they didn't recognize him in the moment, and they had this conversation as they walked As they closed in, maybe that last mile of the walk to Emmaus, uh, Jesus begins to teach them some. And then they get to one of their homes. They offer to allow Jesus to stay overnight. And and Jesus has taught them. He's really taken them all the way back from Moses, all the way up to this moment. And and they're listening and they're taking it in. and, And then they decide to break bread. Does that ring a bell for you? There's this moment where Jesus actually breaks, and you would assume unleavened bread, and it pops when he breaks it, and, and it's as if they remember him breaking bread. Who knows if they were actually there at the Last Supper or not, but all of a sudden, they awaken to the fact that it's Jesus. And in that moment, something miraculous happens. He's sitting at the table breaking the bread, and, and if you can imagine, just like in the movies, he's, just, he's gone. But as, we, as they review their walk, the seven-mile walk, this, this time interacting with Jesus and the moments that he taught, they have this great quote, and I want to read it to you, and I want to ask you about it. They said, didn't our hearts burn within us 
as he talked with us on the road and explained the scripture to us. Did you uh, kiss that little line? Our hearts burned within us. I, I need to just ask you a question. Has your heart ever burned within you because you're communicating with the risen Jesus? Have you ever opened up the Bible and read it and it just jumped off the page to the point where you can almost feel it physically? I tell people often, I, I mean, I've had a lot of great experiences in life. But if, you, if I were to rank my top 50, I got some cool things. I've got six kids, so I was there for six births. I just got to witness a state championship. That was pretty awesome. I married a wonderful one. We've been married for 31 years. I, had the, the, I still can remember the wedding pretty vividly, right? So you got all these moments that you remember in life, and yet in that top 50, man, about 40 of mine are these moments where I've interacted with Jesus. They're, they're another, another level from anything that happens physically. Man, I want that for you. If, you. if you haven't ever had your heart burn within you, I just want you to ask, have I, have I really believed in Jesus? Have I really believed in the resurrected Jesus? Because I, I feel like that's a fair expectation. It doesn't, doesn't happen all the time for me. Sometimes it's long spans of time. But even as I was reading this passage in, in Luke uh, chapter 24, I, I couldn't help as I read that. I remember these moments where I interacted with God. Sometimes it was listening to a preacher like me. They weren't always really good communicators. Sometimes they were good, sometimes they were not. But I could be sitting out there and taking it in, and all of a sudden it was as if God was speaking to me personally. Sometimes I was in a moment sitting with my Bible open, reading it, and him speaking into me, just, just me and my Bible. There's been some community situations where I'm sitting in a small group, Often sounds for me, it'd just be a group of men and we're either praying or, or reading the word where there's like this life that is undescribable. That's an expectation for the followers of Jesus to have those moments. And because of those moments, because of the way our heart burns within us, because of the risen Savior, we walk different. We, we have this swagger of hope. There's this expectation that at the end of this life, whenever it comes, that something better is waiting, that we're actually going to get to see Jesus in his fullness. So when that bread breaks and Jesus disappears, you wonder if they go back to the Lord's Supper, that last supper, and Jesus says, this is the last time I'm going to do this with you, and he breaks the bread and he's gone because he doesn't complete it. There's not this broken breaking of bread like ceremony with the wine. It's, it's over, and he's not going to do it again until we see him in the full. And those of us that know him know that that day is coming. The day is coming where we're going to live and be with Jesus in the full. It helps us walk this planet way differently. Hey, Radius, uh, for 17 years, we've kind of just grown a little bit at a time over the course of the 17 years. It's been, been pretty cool how God's blessed us with, with more people. With there's, there's six churches out there right now. All, all of that has transpired Man, that's, that stuff doesn't mean anything unless people are coming because they see the hope inside of us. That they're, they're attracted to that, that humility, that swagger of hope that looks totally different than the world swagger. Easter's the time to celebrate that transformation of our souls. 
If you don't believe this, you do not believe the good news and you are not a Christian. If you do, then Easter's the time to sing because uh, Jesus gave us life. Let's pray together. Thank you for changing my life when you saved me, Jesus. Thank you as you uh, pricked my heart as a young boy made me aware of my sin and brought me to the point of repentance. I still remember where I made a public statement that I believed that you died and were buried and rose again with just a simple little mind of a child. And over these years of life, that has been just such an amazing gift. Even when I've been away from you, you you constantly remind me and I have to deal with that hope that's buried in my soul because of my salvation. Thank you for it. Thank you for saving so many that are taking this in right now. We celebrate the life that we have because you defeated death on the cross and rose from the grave. Uh, and we call you great and savior today. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.